I'm going to eat your kids. My god could beat up your god. Rope-a-dope. I love your grills. I literally have a George Foreman grill. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. So we don't do a fun fact for part two. Yeah. Welcome back to part two of uh, uh, Muhammad Ali. About Muhammad, yeah. Typically we don't do a fun fact. We say that every time and then you always give a bullshit one. And I love this dynamic of typically we don't give a fun fact. Now here's some bullshit fun fact. It's not bullshit because it's a fact. It's it, that's the ty- It's the fun fact. So the fun fact is that every single Mission Impossible movie is true. It actually minute to minute, scene to scene happened by little people. What are you saying? How many little people do you know? So I know two, and there's a lot more on Earth. They run every spy ring that exists. What are you talking about? And the way that they hide it is that they write movie scripts about what they do, and they turn it into Mission Impossible movies. I know this is crazy. I know this is crazy, and I'm sorry. I need you to strap in. It's just that you all know that Tom Cruise is my best friend and my pet. He let me in on this secret. Oh. It's a Scientology secret. None of you should know it. I'm, I'm. This is exclusive. Don't tell anybody. This is dabbler only. Scientology is going to come after us. Fuck him, man. Fuck him. We're in our bunker. We're safe. Uh, I have Tom Cruise. He's my best friend and my pet. He makes me dinner and I give him bones. Perfect. He is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here, let's jump into part two of Muhammad Ali. Uh, in 1966, the Vietnam War is escalating. It had already been kind of going on for a while now, but the U.S. had entered in and about a year earlier. Bummer. But because it's escalating, this kind of changes how their draft is working. So Muhammad, when the, a year earlier in 1965, he had to take tests and he failed a written test. But a year later in 66, the U.S. Army changed their standards. Hmm. So that it would include more people. So they so lower their standards. He failed on purpose or because of the, the dyslexia? I don't know. I don't think okay. he failed on purpose. I didn't see anything that said he did. Okay. But he did fail the, the written exam. And then they lowered the standards because uh, they needed soldiers. They need people. They yeah. need bodies. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So they came back to Mahab and said, you now are able. You're, you're now on the level that Lu- we're accepting. Lucky you. Yeah. And Muhammad was uh, against the Vietnam War. He was also, he didn't want to go to, uh, into the military. Mm-mm. He just, his whole thought process w- was around multiple things. One thing was that, it's like, I don't understand how I could take a test. You guys tell me I'm not good enough to go fight in the war. And then without taking any more tests, I'm also now qualified. He's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. His quoted saying, I don't have anything against the Viet Cong. They never called me a nigger. And this is a powerful statement because... The whole idea is like, yeah, you guys are the people who, in my own country, <laughs> treat me like shit, and then now you want me to go put my life on the line for you. He's like, going into this war won't help my people. It won't help the 22 million black people in the U.S. get the equal justice that they deserve. Good, good call. So no, I'm not going to go fight for you in your war. He even goes on to continue saying, like, if entering this war meant bringing some sort of peace and justice for my people, yeah, he's like, you wouldn't need a draft. I would sign up and go tomorrow. But that's not what this is about. True beans, it's man. Like, Fix your own problems here, and then I might go and help you on your problems later. Vietnam is such a bullshit imperialistic war. Yeah. Uh, good for him for recognizing that. A lot of young men back then maybe didn't have the context of it or felt some patriotic need to go there. 
and didn't realize until they were there it was bullshit. Yeah. And good for Muhammad for being just cutting right to it, like, nah. Yeah. Y'all are fucking lying. This is nonsense. Well, this is a big deal. Now you have a celebrity. He's got a big voice that reaches pretty far yeah. and influence. And so when he says this, he actually kind of somewhat becomes a, a bit of a hero, especially to other black people who are like, he's got some good points. Like, yeah, this isn't helping us. I'm not like, fighting for you. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? Fix this stuff and I'll go, and then we're all one group and then yeah, okay, what are, what are we doing? Ah, but France started then, this shit anyway. What the fuck does that have to do with me? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he's basically dodging the draft, so to speak. He's he's not going to call to it. Good for him. Burn your draft papers. Uh, so even though this makes him a hero in some sense, this hurts his boxing career, of course, because, well, he's shunned by venues because he's considered to be a, a draft dodger. Yes. And it's also a federal offense. And so they can't book him in any fights, which forces him to go to fight into some other countries. He actually goes to Canada. He goes over to Europe, too. I'm not sure all the places he went to. but To he... avoid being arrested? No, no, no. He's actually not trying to avoid the government. He basically just tells the government, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go. Yeah. And then they obviously are going to charge him, convict him, and then he is going to appeal it. But that takes a long process. Sure. So he starts going to other countries. He's dominating in boxing in other countries. He's oh, not losing. Nah, He's still undefeated at this point, by I the think way. The, the Canadians, it's so cold up there, and they're big people. They're, they get drunk a lot. He might have had a little bit of trouble there, but not real trouble. Yeah, and then in, I'm just going to call it because I'm a racist against Europeans. Yeah. They don't have shit against Muhammad Ali. <laughs> no way. It's not a single person <laughs> in Europe who can stand up against Muhammad Ali. No. Yeah. So, yeah, he completely dominates all those fights. The world champ, he's Beautiful. going around fighting other Beautiful. people. I love thinking of, <laughs> I know this is fucked up me, but I think like sports in Europe, other than, you know, football, soccer up there, is, right, right. or rugby is pretty tough, but I see them as more, you know, tennis and fencing, <laughs> very proper, and he's just beat the fuck out of them. <laughs> I didn't watch any of his fights, though. I'm not even sure if they were even really that much broadcast i think this was just his way of making money while he couldn't fight in the u.s yeah and to keep in shape and stuff but yeah when he comes back to america he does start to get convicted for the draft dodge and ah, he could you. possibly get a five-year sentence which he appeals because that's what they go for yeah and he remains free while the appeal goes on so he can still move around you know he's not like jailed or anything it's just what celebrities get yeah but the boxing federation strips him of his world heavyweight title because draft dodger or whatever yeah whatever and he's actually his license to box is revoked in all 50 states wait that's a thing apparently i didn't know i, I think you actually have to have a license but I got a license to box yeah so he can't box in the u.s and it will be held up for three years is what they put the ban on him for Mm. Uh, while the pill's going through. Uh, Muhammad says that he didn't care at all about any of this. Uh, he says he doesn't care about his public relations during this time of being banned. He didn't uh -uh. care about the political relations. He didn't care about them losing any money because he wasn't going to be able to box. He said he felt like he was doing the right thing for him and his people, and he, he was the people's champion. And he kind of gives this nickname of the people's champ. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and he is. Oh, hell yeah. He represents the, what the people were actually feeling about Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this also is another thing that MLK is very excited about because he's also against Vietnam. And he's like, here's this guy who's, you know, Hell yeah. speaking up for, for everybody on this. Well, it's like we were talking earlier about people not liking when celebrities take a, a, a position. But what he realizes that celebrities represent... More than just their own voice. Yeah, it's it's some kind of cultural 
resonance. Yeah. Where people sign on to it, where they're like, oh, shit, so he's into it. That's where I'm at. So uh, taking a stance against Vietnam is a huge fucking deal. Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah, very big. Yeah. Um, so a month after his conviction, Muhammad would actually marry his second wife, who was a 17-year-old a- actress. I put in quotations. Uh... Know, a bunch of actress. Uh, her name is Belinda Boyd, but she will also change her name because of the Nation of Islam. So she changes it to Kalila Komocho Ali. Kalila Komocho? Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is in 1967. The couple would have four children together. So he's in his mid-20s, late-20s? Uh, let's see here. You're going to make me do math. I'm sorry. I, I know it's gross. I just want to know how old he is when he marries a 17-year-old. I got I got some I got some thoughts. Although 17 is close to 18. So he was born in 19... <laughs> It was World War II, 1942, 1942, 1967, 25. 25, that's not bad. 25 to 17, it's not great. It's not ideal. It's not bad. I was worried. We were in the 38. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's like 42, and he picks up a 17-year-old like, I own you now. It's apparently kind of an arranged marriage through the Nation of Islam. So, All right. Yeah, they're doing their thing. They have four children together. Belinda was very supportive of Muhammad during his federal charges that he was having to go through. She helped support him um, both financially and emotionally and stuff because it's, I'm sure, probably you go, Belinda, knowing that you might go to prison for five years. I'm sorry, I said her name wrong. Kalila. Kalila. Yeah. But the marriage, yeah, it wasn't very good because Muhammad sleeps around a lot. I don't think he's the kind of guy that's into domestic bliss. I don't think so either. I don't think he comes home at 7 o'clock for dinner and hangs out with the family. It's kind of what Belinda says. So Belinda, yeah. they're married for about 10 years before she divorces him. And when she does, she makes kind of a lot of statements about it, saying that he was not the man that she thought he was, that he lacked morals, and he was disrespecting the family. He wasn't a very good father figure. He slept around a lot. Right. And she sent, she went on further to say that he does not deserve to be called Muhammad Ali and that she would never continue to call him Muhammad Damn, girl. He would be Cassius Clay. So she's taking him down a notch. Hey, yeah. I'll take that. The motherfucker who wanted to fight him and not call his name, I don't respect that, but yeah, yeah I mean, if you disrespect your wife... Um, and family, your kids, yeah. I can obviously only go off of what Belinda said. There was a, a, a cool interview with him that... Is, is a nice thought because Muhammad said he saved about 75% of his earnings for his kids. He's like, I know this world's tough. He's like, I, he's yeah. like, I, I made it and I, you know, I, I was able to make something out of myself. So I had a little bit of a, a better time with it. But he's like, but I know what's going on in the normal kind of scenarios for right. black people. He's like, so 75% of my money is going to helping my children out with school, books, tuition, yeah. anything they need. And so uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Since Muhammad couldn't box, he needed to find other ways to make money. So what he did was he decided to go on tour to different colleges to give speeches. So now he's kind of becoming uh, more more of an activist by touring around rather than just what he says on TV or right. or whatever in his matches. He does this for a while, and he has a pretty strong stance at this point of Nation of Islam ideology mm. with the Elijah Muhammad kind of version of that, which... <laughs> Yeah, is, is very the whole like divided but equal, but you know, yeah. peaceful. Yes, he's he's not saying hurt other people or hurt you know whatever people that disagree with you, but he's he thinks that blacks and whites shouldn't really be hanging out with each other. Well, and um, people time is sort of a black and white situation. We often love the subject or we hate the subject. Yeah, and we talk shit or we give praise. 
Muhammad uh, deserves a lot of praise. A lot. His association with the nation Islam is one of the parts I'm not on the same page. So, nation Islam is fine in that it's about black empowerment. It's about... I'm not even against the nation of Islam. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I mean is that... I just am an MLK cider. So, religion is dumb. And and people sign on to it. And the problem is that Nation of Islam has, you know, like the cosmogony of the Nation of Islam? No. So there was an advanced civilization like Atlantis on Africa like 8,000 years ago. Mm. And a black scientist created white people. Okay, I've heard this. Yeah, the scientist created white people. He created white people as slaves. And they ended up being the devil. And the devil... Uh, then enslave the black people. Yeah, and that's that's their that's their religious narrative. Now, religion is silly, silly. and yeah. symbolic. So the fact that he's touting this is going to be off-putting to most people. Yeah, but it's also just it's a religion. Yeah, it's silly uh, and it means something to him. I feel like when it comes to the nation of Islam, I'm like either go MLK or go Black Panthers. I don't like the in between. Like fucking <laughs> kill everybody and make it right or fucking right. bring everyone together and make it right. But this yeah. in between thing is bullshit to me. It's so. so strange. And all religion is strange, but like we talk shit on Mormons because they're idiots and <laughs> yeah. and the philosophy and the <laughs> whole the whole symbology is ridiculous. <laughs> this symbology at least has some measurable like I get it. They're yeah. trying to define their their racial disparity. Yeah. So I get that it's going to be off-putting to people and it's going to be weird, but it's not terrible. Yeah. Well, in one of the speeches that Muhammad gives out, like to kind of give a little bit of example of the mentality, he says, "I'm not saying black is best because I'm black. I can prove it if you want." Some rich dirt, you look for the black dirt. The blacker the berry, the sweeter the fruit. If I want a strong cup of coffee, I'll take it black because the coffee gets weak if mm-hmm. I integrate it with white cream. I agree with him on that shit, man. And so, the darker the better. I like super dark coffee. I like super dark women yeah. and men. And I'm all about, you know, <clears> hey, you want to, for the proud being black, that's badass. Um, but it's this divide of like, Keeping a separate thing is his mentality. Right, yeah. But Let's go with MLK or just kill all the white people and then take over. One unfor- of those two. Unfortunately, yeah. The, the nation of Islam believes that that uh, black people have an inherent superiority and they're supposed to remove themselves from the corruption of white society. Which, I mean, at the time is, I mean, even now is, white society is corrupt and shitty. They're not totally wrong. Yeah, uh, which is why I don't necessarily dislike the nation of Islam. It's, separate but equal is racist. Yeah. I don't have the solutions. Neither I can only I. point out absurdity. I'm absurd. a dumb, white, middle-aged yeah, I don't. idiot. I can just point out absurdities. I'm middle-aged, but... I'm middle-aged. I'm tired as fuck. I'm tired, too. I don't know what... The, I don't know I don't anything. know what the answer is. The I, answer is another thing <laughs> that I don't know. It's I, out there. It's, Us talking about racial shit gets weird really quickly. Because we just don't... We don't have a... I don't think I have a good place to stand. My opinion shouldn't matter, and I know, exactly. and I know that. So that's the whole point: is stupid. that our perspective should not be considered. So yeah, we yeah. shouldn't even say it, and exactly. we say it because we have a podcast. But, but we're idiots, and so it just doesn't need to be said. Yeah, Jesus. So yeah. So besides touring colleges, he also made many TV appearances to discuss civil rights and equality. He actually gets on with this specific TV uh, kind of talk show. And becomes friends with the host, and they joke around a bunch, and they get on topics of civil rights. Mm. And it's pretty cool because of how their dynamic works, and you can watch a lot of these episodes. They're goofy and fun, and they also check each other when it comes to the political things. 
Yeah, you can see a lot of videos on it. Pretty Sweet. good shit. It's all on YouTube? Oh, yeah. Cool. Muhammad also said that he knew that he had made, that because he had made it as a boxer, he had a little bit of an easier time, but that he knew his people were aching in hell. And as long as they weren't free, then neither was he. So he continued to push more on the activism. Good for him. He's like, yeah, I can I can make it through this way. Like, it sucks. There's some obviously some still inequality and injustices. But I can make it through because of uh, wealth and uh, my position. Yeah. But the rest of my people aren't in that same position. So I need to keep fighting for everybody. So good for him. Really good mentality on this. He's respecting... The responsibility of his celebrity. Yeah, because he could have maybe cruised from here on and been mostly fine for the yeah. most part, but he, he could have OJ Simpson did. Just ride it out. So OJ did. I don't know much about OJ. OJ's a terrible person. He just I mean, wrote it out. Did he? Did he? OJ said, "I'm not black. I'm OJ." OJ doesn't yeah. represent. He doesn't respect the celebrity that he represented. I mean, the whole like he might have murdered someone kind of thing, like his oh. wife. No, he definitely murdered his wife. <laughs> that's that's also what he did. Oh my God, who was it? What now? What stand-up comedian talked about? I think it was was it Chappelle or was it? A lot of people talk about OJ. I think Chappelle says like, I don't think he did. He's like, then I met him. And I was like, oh my God, he fucking did it. And oh. then I met him. Guys, like maybe he didn't do it. And then the next <laughs> time I was like, definitely did it. No, he's fucking crazy. Oh no, you're right. In like one of his uh, Netflix specials, he's like, I've met OJ Simpson three times. Yes, yeah, I'm gonna talk about it throughout the night, and he just like brings it up. <laughs> Such a good bit. Because he's right. Like a good sociopath will make you question your questions about them. Yeah, and that's what OJ does to everybody. You're like. You fucking did that shit, didn't you? And you're like, I don't know if he did. He's like, oh, the white the white man made it seem like he did. They were just after you. It's there. a conspiracy. Oh my god, I think he fucking did it. He's such a nice. Did OJ write a book, gracious saying, man. If I would have done it or something like that. I think that's literally what's titled. Like, if if I had done it, I I that alone is enough for me. No matter who you are or whatever that, that is, that is so weird that, that I'm like, dude, you you did it. You fucking did it. Oh, he definitely did it. And then yeah. he wrote a book about. How he did it, if pretending that I he wish did that it. I I'd still done it, but I wish I got away with it. <laughs> and that's he creates this false narrative where it's like I'm not currently in prison. And, oh my god, I oh can't even. OJ, gonna, uh, do not go anywhere near OJ Simpson. Whoever you are, <laughs> he will murder you. Yeah. All right. So getting back on topic. Oh, even though Muhammad is not allowed to box anymore. There's actually uh, a couple people who find a loophole in the system to make it so he can box. All right. And so it's in Atlanta, Georgia, which is funny because it's the Deep South. And uh, the idea is that they want to have Muhammad come and box. They don't have an actual federation there or an athletic federation for anything. Anyone can just set up a boxing match. And That's a typical thing down there. there there's a whole thing for that. But they can still have a count towards, like, because you have to work your way up the ladder when you're fighting to go towards the world title and stuff. Yeah. So they make it work basically to the point where it, it's working, but they found a loophole so that legally he won't have any issues. So it's deep, deep in the woods somewhere. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's still a venue. I think it's a rather smaller venue. Where you just don't have to show your boxing license, which it's, I didn't. It's not being it's... held by the Confederation, you know, the Boxing Confederation. <laughs> so. It's weird, but nonetheless, they are able to set it up and tell, they tell Muhammad, like, hey, you can come fight down here, and Muhammad's, like, totally stoked about it, and matter of fact, he's, like, talking to, you know, his family and stuff, like, hey, I can go box, and, and they're like, why, where are you gonna go box, and when he tells them it's in Atlanta, Georgia, they're like, you're gonna go box in the deep south, and they're like, Dude, what you the fuck? be careful. Yeah, exactly, the scary area, so, for black people, I mean, everywhere is, I guess, but. Well, I'm trying to find. south, dude. 
dude, I'm trying to find. There is a boxing league in the South. And my wife texted me about it recently. I'm trying to fucking find it. It's called Ruckus something or something Ruckus. It is literally a boxing league that it's not a in league. In the woods? It's... Yeah, it's in the woods. Like, there's trees around, and then there's, like, a, a ring. <laughs> you you can YouTube it um, where you don't have to have any credentials at all. You just sign up and give them your weight. And then they hook you up with somebody close to that weight. Unless you tell them, I want to fight so-and-so. Okay. And it's just drunk rednecks <sighs> beating the shit out of each other. And they're oh, not yeah. trained. Um, and there's large... This crowds of people and they they are, don't know what the fuck they're doing but that's that's what they do in the south they just don't care <laughs> this is a little bit more organized uh the mayor actually got involved with this as well there's actually multiple people who helped this loophole go through but they have a venue it's just not like i don't think it's a very big venue and i don't think it's necessarily part of a, an organization that he was normally going through when he was boxing yeah. professionally but this still counts towards him fighting even on the professional level. So he's 28 years old now, Muhammad. He steps back into the ring against a man named Jerry Quarry. And even though he hasn't fought in a couple of years, because it's now been a couple of years, he beats the shit out of Jerry. Uh, it just destroys him. Of course. Not yes. even close. The draft appeal makes its way all the way up to the Supreme Court during this time frame. And on top of that, the NAACP mm. had put in a lawsuit against the New York State Athletic Commissions and stated that the ban against... Muhammad was discriminatory, and surprisingly, they lifted yeah. it immediately. I don't even think they actually even went into court or anything. They were like, okay, we don't even want to have to deal with that. They don't want that publicity. Just throw the ban out. Yeah, no. So Muhammad is now... Because they're dealing with mostly black athletes. They don't want a, a very publicized court yeah. case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Muhammad's now able to fight again, even though, yeah, his, basically his ban's lifted kicking ass and no more loopholes doesn't have to worry about that and muhammad starts winning again still undefeated and he's working his way back up towards the heavyweight title again which is now held by a man named joe frazier joe frazier yeah you go joe so those two get booked for their title match because muhammad just went through like i don't know 12 matches and beat everybody until he got to the top again bored he's just bored yeah he's just like nah, let's get there the purse size for this title match is crazy high, especially for this time frame. It's $5 million, so it's $2.5 million apiece. For real? Yeah. This is more than pretty much what any other athlete was really making at this time, like of other sports, right? I was going to say, that's, yeah, that's, I think that's close to what the purse is now. Yeah, maybe so. So, big Damn. purse. Everybody wants to see this fight. Joe and versus Muhammad. And Muhammad goes back to his normal talking. I've picked the round where Joe Fraser will go down. He starts his rhyming again. <laughs> this might shock and amaze you, but I'm going to destroy Joe Frazier. Yeah, so the bout is set for March I'm going to kill your family. What? That's, what? that's what Muhammad says. Oh, okay. Or he, or he says, I'm going to make your wife a widow. <laughs> a widow? Oh, a widow. Oh, a widow. And then she's going to cry and I'm going to drink her tears. Yeah. But he says it in like a charming, rhyming way. Nice. I'm just gross. <laughs> I'm going to make your children cry. Sounds like... And I'm going to throw them in the dumpster and fuck your wife. Something like Tyson would say. Yeah, it's it's dark. It's dark. Tyson said a lot of weird shit like that. I think he did say something I'm like that. Like kids. I'm going to eat your kids. <laughs> That's right. Or I'm going to make your wife Actually, a widow, I think he said He that. said, I'm going to eat your kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm that not, man would punch me and I would die. I'm not eat the kid. <laughs> that dude is no joke. Yeah, I I would never ever make fun of him face to face because uh, I'm pretty sure I don't even know. He could flick me with a finger and I'd die. That guy hit so hard. It, it, I don't understand how everybody else doesn't die. He could punch you in a non-essential place like your shoulder, like, and your what? body would just rattle to death. <laughs> no, just fall apart. That punch. Oh my god. That dude is no joke. So the bout uh, is set for March 8, 1971. Both heavyweights are undefeated. So Joe is undefeated as well. Oh, shit. That's why this match is so big and why the purse is so big. Everybody wants to see it. Again, we have another symbolic fight, much like we were talking about the previous one. Mm. If you were a liberal, you were rooting for Muhammad. If you were a conservative, you were rooting for Joe. It was a clash of cultures for what the boxers stood for politically so everybody and like it's a big topic just in normal society mm. people are like arguing with each other about politics and who's gonna win and That's what that means if your guy wins that means so ridiculous you're politically correct and <laughs> my god could beat up your god it's exactly what's going on yeah and so everyone apparently watched this fight there was a lot of people that I saw in interviews were saying, like, if you didn't watch boxing at all and didn't care for it, you most likely watched this fight or listened to it on the radio because mm. you had somebody else who was going to watch it, a friend or a family member. Like, everybody saw this fight. Yeah. Big, big, big. Um, unfortunately, Muhammad lost this fight. Oh, no. This is his first actual loss in his professional career. <sighs> Joe Frazier's no shit. Joe Frazier is, uh, yeah, he was... he. He hits hard. Wow. I actually didn't see this particular fight. So, yeah, this beat was pretty heavy for a lot of reasons. Politically, in society, uh, a lot of people felt like this was, I don't know, it's like when you find out like Trump's president, you're just like, I'm just depressed now. I don't know I don't, what to do. I don't understand the world anymore. He got he won, he won the vote. So everyone's just kind of dazed from it. They thought that, someone put it in really good words where they were saying that we knew we were correct politically about trying to get equality, and we felt like we lost, and this other guy was the person standing in the way. Mm. And it was just a bummer to see that, you know, not only was Muhammad losing a fight and his first real loss in his professional career, which that's on itself sucks, but it felt like the the whole nation was kind of like, the right side was like, haha, we win, and the left side was like, fuck. Now we have to start back and keep going with our civil rights movements, but we're still having to push through all this bullshit. What, what year is it? Well, the, the fight? Yeah. Yeah, the fight was in 71. Oh, yeah, that's a huge... That sucks. Yeah. Because a lot, a lot the, you know, the anti-war people, the hippies, the uh, nation of Islam, are going to put a lot on this fight. Yeah. Maybe not the hippies, because they, they're idiots. Yeah. But that whole cultural thing, uh, where, yeah, yeah, he's going to represent that whole uh, dissent. Yeah. Well, it's weird because... So is he a 1,001 now? He's got so many. Uh, if you include his amateur career and his professional career, I think he only really fought maybe 200 matches, something like that. Still. I'll have to go check and double check, but yeah. Yeah, Muhammad, he actually took this graciously, which is funny because he was a big talker. Good for him. He was very loud when it came to fighting and stuff. However, he was very elegant about his loss. He gave Joe credit for his win, saying that he Joe fought really well. Hmm. And he said that he was used to handing out defeats all the time. And now that he has been defeated, he knows how it feels to lose. And that will help drive his hunger to come back and win again. Yeah. But he was, even in his interview, uh, when he's being asked about you know the loss and everything, he doesn't seem upset or angry or pissed or anything like that. He's like, yeah, Joe fought well, and now I've got to train up and come back and fight again. 
Oh my god, he must. I have to watch this fight. He said it was very humbling. It was very well up to this point. I believe that Muhammad is invincible. Yeah, I got to see the footwork in this fight now. Yeah, I want to see the jabs. Yeah, this is one of the ones I didn't watch. I watched about three of his fights because the fights are like you know with all the rounds and all the you know in between. They're like an hour long. About an hour, yeah, hour and a half. Yeah, I get it. I'm gonna go watch it. So he did believe, though, that he was going to be the world champ again. And he talked about it. He said, I'm going to train up. I'm going to come back. And I'm getting the title again. I can do this. Yeah. Just after this, Muhammad wins. Uh, the Supreme Court had turned over the conviction for his draft evasion, which nobody thought was going to happen. They're like a black Muslim guy yes. who dodged the draft, appealed, and they actually overturn it. So he doesn't, he doesn't well, get sentenced. What is the ruling conscience as objector? What? For why do they say that he 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 was legally able to avoid the draft? Uh, I actually don't see what the whole thing was. I think it's conscientious objector where they're like, you can morally say I don't agree with this war and not participate in it. And maybe that's what it was. It's an American right. Good for them. Yeah. So a big win on that. That was really awesome. Occasionally, uh, kind of prison for five years instead. The Supreme Court does the right thing. Yeah. Occasionally. Now we have George Foreman who comes in and he takes the heavyweight title. So Joe's gone. He's out now. Fuck you, Frazier. Because George won. And so uh, Muhammad's still fighting, and he now gets booked up to fight George Foreman, who's now got the title. I love your grills. I literally have a George Foreman grill. I had it, I had to look up so many different pictures and sources of George Foreman because I saw the pictures... I love George Foreman. ...of when he was fighting Muhammad, and I could swear that it's not the same guy who sells the grills. Well, he's super young back when he was fighting. Super young, yeah. yeah. 70s, man. Early so, 70s. in the 90s when he was ta- when he was trying to sell those grills, he was an older man, bigger. Not, you know, not even necessarily... I, I think, well, one, he had hair in the 70s. And yeah, he had. Went with a shaved head <laughs> afterwards. He had hair, yeah. And I think that kind of changed yeah, how he looked. He was like an egghead in the 90s. But when he was and younger... he was always carrying a grill with that huge smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seems him. like a very nice man. He does seem like a very nice man. I just want to hang out with him and be like... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's also just kind of a different build. In the 70s, he's definitely buff as shit. But he's kind of more on the leaner side. And obviously, get, he got older. Uh, that happens. But he seems still buff. It's just kind of more like the yeah football-like. Thick. Yeah. Especially, yeah, like in the 90s, he was an older dude. And he's just fucking, he's a bus. Yeah. yeah he's big a guy. fucking truck. Uh, yeah. And then in the 70s, when he was boxing, he was a little bit more leaner, a little bit more. Still ripped as hell, though. Of course, yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, he's spry. But yeah, so that's George Foreman has the heavyweight champ title, and he's got a heavy punch. And hair. And hair, and I think that's what throws me out the most. It's a big part. Yeah. yeah. So in 1974, promoters make a deal to have the championship fight between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali be broadcasted worldwide Ooh. by satellite. This is in the early 70s, mid-70s. This so is pre- It's like HBO, like, gotta buy, maybe, yeah. you know, or pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird, dude. And so they're going to have the fight happen in, it's a place called Kinshasa Zaire. I, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's that country doesn't exist anymore. Zaire. No. Zaire, that's Zaire it. Zaire in Africa. That's yeah. how you say it, Yeah. And uh, this is now the Republic of the Congo. So we're in Africa where they're going to have the fight. And yeah. they name it the Rumble in the Jungle. Rumble in the Jungle! This is a huge, huge fight. I read multiple sources that said how many people attended. Uh, probably the more believable one was that there was 15,000 people in attendance. However, one Buck. source said there was as many as 60,000 people that had showed up. Obviously, they couldn't all get into the fight, but they were in the area and celebrating and Gonna watch the fight together on TVs and whatever. What the hell? So it's a big fight, huge. 
Yeah. And even though Muhammad was, you know, he's been defeated once now, but even though he's a great fighter, a lot of, even his own supporters think that George Foreman will win because he's a heavy hitter. Yeah. Like he punched, George Foreman at this time frame was known for knocking people out, not just TKO, but knocking people out pretty quick and early on. Just busting your brains. He just punches you in the head and you go down. I don't know anything about George Foreman. You don't know who you are. Other than the grill, but we know his name for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably a pretty heavy hitter. Big, big. And so even. Thick man. Even Muhammad's crew was worried about. Spank him. Muhammad getting permanently hurt. Oh, for by real? By George, yeah. They they were they supported. He's a brand. Muhammad. Yeah. He's a he's a brand. Like, but they're don't, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know George. if you can beat know, this buddy. guy. Um, Muhammad was oh, buddy. perfectly confident that he was going to be able to beat George. And he, I'm sure he had a fly rhyme <laughs> about it. And this is where his most famous rhyme comes it, from. Oh, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. And I'd never heard the end of that. Yeah, that's nice. Most people know the first part. He ends up saying this often, and it becomes kind of his catchphrase, if you will. Yeah. Well, if he's a heavy hitter, he's going to be a little bit slow. Yep. There you go. And this float around builds man. a technique of the the strategy that he's going to try to make sure that George gets tired out after he's done his huge swings. As long as he can take some of the beating and stay up and dodge his real heavy blows, yeah, then he'll tire out. Then I'll take him down. And that's the strategy. And it, that's kind of what he's done all along. He does that a lot anyways. It's kind of already a big strategy in his heavyweight uh, profession, right? Where he looks at form and he's like, I've already fought, fucking done dudes like you. Yep. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to moonwalk around your ass. This, I did not know Muhammad uh, invented this technique. Hmm. But this is where we get a rope-a-dope. Is his Muhammad invention? Muhammad created the rope-a-dope. He at least coined the term. It might have been used to some extent, but he's the one who abused it, especially in this fight, for the purpose of tiring out yeah. the heavy hitter. So if you don't know what a rope-a-dope is, if you're not a, a boxing fan, this is a technique that what you do is you place your own back against the ropes. When your opponent is coming towards you and swings, you push hard against the ropes so that way his swings miss. It gives this illusion that he's close to you. You don't have anywhere to go, but you actually have a little extra room. So they swing heavy and mm -hmm. you push back to the ropes and they miss and they do that a lot. It's actually they tire out. a defensive move that a lot of guys don't like to use because it feels like running away. Yeah, it's, it's evasive. Yeah, it's evasive. It's defensive. It's actually a yeah. smart thing to do. It's actually what a lot of high-end champions use. Floyd Mayweather uses it quite a bit. Yeah, it's smart. You Muhammad uses it. It's it's good to say that just like in war, you have to have a strategy for both offense and defense, and you have to take them both seriously. If you're going to fight somebody and you have options to use, don't. it's silly to say I'm not going to use this because it's cheap or, or it seems like it's cowardice. Use all of the tools you have to win the fight. That's all that matters. As long as it's legal in the fight, it's okay to do Yeah. To do that, you're not you're not kicking him in the dick and then pretending you didn't know that you did. Yeah, that. yeah. Don't yeah. Don't be sneaky. You're not, rules. you're not poking him right in the eyes and be like, I don't know what happened. Yeah, like you're still within the rules. You've just found a way to defensively using the tools you have to yeah. to to evade. Use all of your equipment that you can use. Now, this is there's two stories about how this kind of came about of him doing the rope a dope. There's uh, and I don't think it really matters which one's true um, or accurate because they're similar enough but the idea is one was that muhammad figured out in the middle of the fight he was trying to tire him out and he realized that the ropes on this ring specifically in this fight they're squishy were looser than normal they're squishy so he was actually able to this even is fun push back harder than you normally would be able to yeah 
and that he just started doing this and that his trainer saw that the ropes were really loose and started yelling to the rest of the crew, like, get those ropes tightened. And Muhammad turned to him and said, no, 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 leave them. Like, this is... Leave them! I need them. Like, this is perfect. That, that's a big uh, a point to, to Foreman. For, he must have hit Muhammad a couple of times where he's like, he did. fuck, dude. Yeah. I, gotta, I need to evade this. Oh, yeah. The other story was that the trainer actually told Muhammad to use the ropes a, a bunch. However, if you actually watch the fight... At one point, the announcer, who I'm assuming can hear Muhammad's crew, is telling Muhammad to get off the ropes. So it seems more accurate that Muhammad just figured this out while he was fighting to use and abuse the looser ropes. It might have been the trainer who said, rope, use the ropes, and then supposedly Muhammad said, like rope-a-dope, because he was rhyming. And now we have the name (laughs) rope-a-dope as a very common technique and term used in boxing. Yeah. Which is... It's funny. I didn't know that came it from is Muhammad. Fun. Yeah. And rope-a-doping, a lot of people still don't dig it. Um, mm-hmm. And they tighten the ropes now. I was going to say, during the middle of the fight, they uh, the actual you know people who are yeah. a part of the you know boxing federation went in and tightened it. And then Muhammad's trainer was yelling at him to not to do it. Like, after he realized it was working really well, he's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't do it. It's fine. It's fine. They're fine. What are you doing? Don't. And they apparently argued for like multiple rounds. I got it, dude. I got it. Now, a lot of people are very amazed of Muhammad's technique because he did have to take some blows. And Muhammad seemed to prefer and even kind to egg on George for body blows. So it was like he would get himself up in the ropes. He'd see George Foreman come in and swing at his face and then miss by a mile because he pushes himself against the rope real nice. So he's purposely missing and watching for these big heavy blows, but they're slower so he can keep an eye on it. Mm. But when he starts getting hit into the body, he almost kind of starts coming out of the ropes and lets George hit him more and more in there. And these big hits. And a lot of people are like, I don't know how he's yeah. how he took those. But Mohammed said that he purposely went that route. That he was like, if he was hitting me in the body, I knew it was going to be brutal, but I could take that all day. I mm-hmm. just knew he was going to tire out pretty quickly. And George does. Throughout all the rounds, and I won't do a full breakdown like I did the other ones. Though I could talk about this fight because it was actually really fun to watch. I'm going to watch that too. Yeah. George uh, does get some pretty good heavy hits in. Does Um, he hit him with a grill? (laughs) At some point, he's like, bam. Buy my product. And Muhammad's like, ah, I'm being cooked. And he's like, like, this is against the rules, I'm pretty sure. Yes, I know. But do you see how the grease falls right into the pocket that I've designed on the side? (laughs) It's a good product. Yeah. I love love George Foreman. Yeah. Yeah. His grill is actually shit, but I still use it. Um, he still does a lot of his good dodging, Muhammad does, without the ropes, but he is on the ropes most throughout the fight. And it's funny because you can see probably the biggest swings all miss because he's that's what Muhammad's doing. He's it's watching what he does. for it, and he uses the ropes. He dances. They do tighten up the ropes. He still uses the rope-a-dope technique. That's the thing about rope-a-dope. It can look like you're running, or it can look very strategic and calculated. And if you don't use it correctly, you are actually running away. But if you are using it to bounce around main hitters that you don't think you can uh, defend otherwise, it's a good strategy. Well, and to go into further detail, because Muhammad's still getting some hits in too. He's not completely being just evasive. No, he's trying to wear him out. He had a brilliant plan that it, it really is almost like a pattern you can just watch. So what happens is he rope a dope. He, you know, he gets the big heavy swings come in. He pushes against the ropes, miss. And then he bops him in the face with his left jab and then right. ties him up. And that is basically the pattern you see, at least mostly, maybe somewhat mixed up, but he's 
wrapping up George a lot. Anytime he thinks he's going to get mm. hit in the head, he actually gets in really close, wraps up George, grabs him by the head, grabs him by the body. They get breaking up. He bops him in the face, goes back to the ropes, misses the big swing, bops him in the face, wraps him up, and George just gets so tired. It's strategic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people Don't hate. Don't get hit by the big hits. Yeah. You'll be fine. That's how you win. Yeah. Jesus. And you can see George tiring out. It gets actually kind of a little bit silly because George's hands are starting to fall to his sides more. Oh, my he's God. He's almost kind of like stumbling a little bit. Not completely, could, but you can tell he's, his swings are starting to get a lot lighter. I could use some grilled meats. I need a <laughs> device. I need a device that grills quickly. And it's funny because the oh, announcer. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. The announcer figures it out like 10 seconds before George gets knocked out. So it's like that motherfucker's going down. <laughs> after watching round after round after round of this, one announcer's is like, "I think maybe he's trying to be evasive to tire. He's he's letting him punch him out. That might be the the strategy. I don't know." And then right then, George starts to get so tired that Muhammad just starts hitting him and Pop. gives him one good hit. George does this really. He falls, bunny, as they would say in the departed. He kind of like <laughs> does this big wide arms like. That's a great Half movie. cartwheel and then falls over sideways and can't get up. Ah! They start counting them out. By the time they get to eight, they call it. And uh, yeah, you have the world champ again with Muhammad Ali. What? Nobody thought he could win. And he fucking did it. <laughs> he always wins. And I mean, Muhammad comes out almost with like no scratches. He, I'm sure his body, his you know torso is probably bruised to hell. But he, he's even telling the reporters, he's like, look at this. Look at this face. This is pretty face. He's like, I didn't even get hit. Look at this. Oh, God. I and great. he tells the reporters, he's like, I don't even think it was close. Did it look close? Was it close before I knocked him out? And the reporters and him are laughing. They're like, no, I don't think so. And honestly, he probably got some really bad hits. But I think he was totally fine. He's <sighs> in his element. I think he had it one and he knew it. I love Muhammad. I don't know if I would want to hang around him at home. <laughs> I watch his interviews. You would. He's so funny. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I I portray his cockiness not as good as he does because you can tell he's also just being cheeky. Not that too. Yeah. Not cocky. Like, just cocky. He's winking at people like I know. I'm I'm full yeah. of myself. I'm joking around. Or like Don't his worry. arrogance is for him like jokey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what is, that. He does say, like, I'm the greatest and all that, but when it comes to him talking shit, most of the time he's kind of looking over, being like, we both know this but is just come for on, fun. I'm just having fun. Yeah. I'm going to fuck your wife later. That's actually real. Yeah. What's up? Seriously. Do you see how, look how pretty I am? Actually, seriously. No, seriously. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you up if you don't. Anyway. Yeah. Bring me your wife. There is one part a that is wife. pretty funny that he said to George while they were in the ring when he started getting really tired, uh, he said, hey, big guy, what do you think now when he realized George couldn't do his really big heavies because he's too tired? <laughs> yeah. And then he knocked him out. I love shit talking in sports, man. You gotta. Yeah. You gotta. That's why baseball sucks because everybody's 20 yards away from each other. And he, he when he grabbed his head, George's head, um, to tie him up, he oftentimes throughout the whole match, you can see him yelling and whispering in his You're ear. You're a little bitch. And Muhammad said that he was talking to him while he's like, I was just trying to get him amped up so he'd swing more. He's like, I know he's going to tire out. So I was just trying to get him mad. So like, I just said stuff to him, kept shaking his head at him, making faces at him. That confidence. Jesus yeah. Christ. And, and if you watch him in the ring against people that are as big of fights as what we're talking about here, mm. he plays with his, his opponents in fun ways. Like 
at one time one guy swung that was so far away like nobody knows why that guy would swing like they're like almost you know one guy's at the ropes and one he's in yeah. the middle and when he swings he, he pretends like he got hit and he like kind of pretends to fall over oh, oh no, no i'm just kidding oh no yeah and he he does goofy things uh throughout the ring so he yeah he has fun but george went down in the eighth round that was when the uh tko happened and the george is worked. a big man too i bet that made a big sound oh yeah yeah he's a big guy Especially for someone who knows who's known for knocking people out in the first couple of rounds. Like, yeah. That's scary. Well, and it takes a man like Muhammad to be able to dance around to get it done. Muhammad did say some of the things, because a reporter did ask him, well, what were you saying to try to egg him on? And he told the reporters what he was saying, which yeah. I think is hilarious. <laughs> and one of the things, or a couple of things he said, he said he told George that he had no power, he had no punch. You got no power! He says he, he hit like a sissy, and I'm just laughing at the scenario of him being inside this <laughs> ring with this guy who clearly hits hard, and he's just, Not trying, a to, sissy. And he's just trying to get him to swing himself yeah. out. Uh, and yeah, he's just like, yeah, you're a sissy, and then you, you, you hit like a sissy. Like, oh, what are you going to do? Yeah, I can only imagine George was like, what the fuck is this guy? Like, what who the hell? fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, he also in the Your interview. Your pussy. Your mother sucks. Right after the fight, in the same interview, he also gives the advice that using the ropes is a great idea. He tells people, he's like, "Listen, boxers, this is a lesson for all of you." He's like, "Use the ropes when your fighter is a big, heavy hitter. Mm. Stay on the ropes. Make him shoot his best shots when you know he is not hitting you, and then you attack." Smart man. Yeah. And I think these high-level boxers don't like hearing that shit because they feel like it should be all aggression, all offense all the time. That's why Muhammad's the man. That's why he wins. Yeah. You have to play both games. And this is why rope-a-dope became a popular technique. And I rope-a-dope my entire life. My whole life is me avoiding people and being like, ah, get away. Stop, (laughs) stop, get away. Ah. I just don't do offense. Uh, At this point, a lot of people thought that Muhammad should have retired. He is the world champ again. He won it for a second time, which is pretty badass. And even his trainers are saying like, hey, man, I think you're getting getting older now. It's time to maybe call it quits. Athletes, man. But Muhammad was like, I'm calling my own shots, man. I'm going to, I love boxing. I'm going to keep going. I'm not stopping. Yeah. No, pay-per-view's coming up soon. I'm going to get some huge checks. Yeah. Now, before all this time, Muhammad was following and even preaching the na- uh, Nation of Islam mentality. Basically, the black community needs equal rights, but they could be separated and peaceful. Right. Uh, this changes. When the Nation of Islam leader Elijah Muhammad dies in 1975, Elijah's son actually takes over, uh, Jabir Herbert Muhammad, who went by Herbert. Um, he takes over as the new leader, and he has a different mentality than his father did. He thinks it's okay to bring white people and black people together rather than trying to keep them separated. Got to keep them separated. But (laughs) peaceful and... Drink your milk. Yeah. And he says that, you know, we can have peaceful white people join Muslim. Like, that'd be awesome. Like, have them join the religion of being a Muslim. That'd be... That's fine. We could come together. Sure. All right. Here we go. And Muhammad uh, falls right in line with this. He's like, I've always had white people in my corner. Um, I have no problems with that. And he embraces it fully. So he then starts going on to talk about that in his speeches. He's no longer saying, like, we got to be separated. Instead, he's saying, like, hating people because of their color uh, is wrong, and it doesn't matter which color is doing the hating. We just need to come together. So it's kind of a strange uh, swap from what he was saying before, but I think it falls more into MLK. Somebody else put it together saying, like, I feel like Muhammad went through the same journey as Malcolm X, where... You see it this way, it makes sense, mm, but mm-hmm. you evolve and realize, no, I think together is better. I get, okay. So. Where it, it, it takes, um, 
a somewhat advanced age with a level of maturity to go, I, I was too amped up. Yeah. And I wasn't focused. Well, Muhammad will even go on saying this, a quote, which uh, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he would say something along the lines of like, if your mentality hasn't changed in 30 years, then... You haven't evolved. You're an idiot, yeah. Basically, you haven't learned anything. Well, because who looks back at their what they felt when they were 20 and still feels that way? Yeah. Like, that's yeah silly. And especially these high-end uh, cultish religions uh, tend to suck up 20-year-olds because uh, they're easy to convince of shit. And then by the time you're like 30, you reformat that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 1975, Muhammad enters into another fight against Joe Frazier. If you remember, that was the one guy who ever... Fuck you, Joe. Yeah. Who defeated Muhammad. Knocked out Mu. Now, this is actually a really cool victory for Muhammad. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that he Muhammad won. So he kind of gets retribution. Eat shit. The reason why it's so cool is because it is clearly... Kelsey Grammer. Uh, what? Uh, Fra- Kelsey Grammer. Fra- he's Frazier. Oh, right, right. Frazier. The TV show. Well, we're getting into the 80s now. And, uh, Close to it, yeah, 75, 70. The only important thing that happened in the 80s was Cheers. I love Cheers. It's amazing. MASH, Mash was the 70s, right? 70s, 80s. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, also, Oingo Boingo and Duran Duran. You don't need to tell me twice. Talk, talk. I feel like I, re- I responded so quickly to that. I feel so fast. Like Muhammad Ali, but with... Yeah, you have to rhyme it now, though. Uh, I'm done. I'm not Muhammad. <laughs> I'm no Muhammad, man. I can't do it. I'm no Muhammad. Yeah. So the, the reason why this fight is so interesting is because both fighters did well. Both fighters beat the shit out of each other and were extremely exhausted. And it came down to being the final round. They went the full 15. And his trainer... Or, 15? Damn, man. Yeah. His trainer talks about this moment in a scenario that I don't think about much in boxing because I don't watch it, but it's an interesting thought. And that is that mm. you say there's a point where you're looking over at your opponent and he's beat to hell, he's exhausted, and he's tired. And you are beat to hell and you're tired and exhausted. And at any point, one of you could throw in the towel. And there comes a question of, are you able to get up and go? Mm. And most people, when they're at this point that both these fighters were, they both would say, you know, the, most fighters would say, no, I can't do it. I can't go any more. And he said, only the special people say yes. And Muhammad said yes. So when the 15th um, round entered with the bell ringing, Muhammad stood up, but his opponent didn't. He's ready to go. And Muhammad, they, he said, Muhammad could have just as easily not stood up. As a matter of fact, after he stood up, the bell rang, he stood up to go into the <laughs> middle. They announced that he was the winner because uh, Joe could not meet the bell. And then Muhammad collapsed. Collapsed. Yeah, he that's... passed out in the ring. Yeah, and, but that's amazing. Yeah. So he put himself up, basically hoping that Joe would not come into the ring. It's or like, oh, you know, thank, oh god. But he probably wouldn't have been able to fight anymore. Muhammad said that's the closest he's ever felt to dying, that's, and he says that's. I think I was close to dying. So I'm sure they were, both were. Yeah. So they went to the hospital I after. Think Joe saw him stood up as like. Fuck. Nope. Nope. Uh, just in it. case, if he can even do one more punch. I can't do it. Yeah. They both saw doctors after, and the doctors were like, why do you, what the hell? <laughs> you are so close to death. Yeah. And so it's kind of a cool fight. Uh, very brutal. If you can go watch that one. They both get a lot of hits in. I'm going to watch all these fights yeah. later tonight. Muhammad's trainer, after this fight, went to Joe's locker room. And told him, congratulations, you have just successfully ended Muhammad's career, even though Joe had lost the fight. Hmm. Um, he was pretty certain that Muhammad wasn't going to fight again after this, that this was going to be his retirement. 
Um, however, a year later, he does take a break. Um, but a year later, Muhammad does get back in the ring. God, it's so exhausting. A lot of people think that he shouldn't. A lot of people are saying the Muhammad man don't. You're you're starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah. You're starting to get older. That's okay. You've won. Not only you are, are you not the Mike title. Tyson. Yeah. Not only the title holder, but you also beat the guy, the one guy who ever made you lose, right? So call it now. Yeah. I mean, I get that it's not satisfying that you beat him into just not standing up. Yeah. But you still beat him. Yeah. You know. That's good enough. If the other guy doesn't want to fight anymore, that's good enough. Muhammad's such a high-level guy. I doubt that that would be satisfying to him. So however a year later, Muhammad does go back into the ring, and he fights against the, at the time, they were saying he was the heaviest hitter, uh, Ernie Shavers. Now, Muhammad wins this fight, but it does some damage to Muhammad. Uh you can tell that Muhammad's slowing he's, down. He's getting up. I mean, he's uh, he's roughly my age now, and I, yeah. I get it. He's tired. Um, and, when and I'm not a high level athlete. I was gonna say, when I'm you're tired. Boxing, you got to be top, tip top shape. And uh, unfortunately, that's just the shitty thing about getting older is you naturally just slow down. You lose to a man named Ernie. Well, you win. <laughs> he won. Yeah. But you won. get beat up, and you go home, and you're like, Ernie, <laughs> a guy named Ernie. Yeah. Oh no, he's a puppet. <laughs> I like I like Gonzo. <laughs> People time. People time. Gonzo's the man. <laughs> In 1977, Muhammad would remarry to his. Oh, this is marriage three. Yeah, his third mm. wife, Veronica Porsche, who was one of the poster girls actually for the Rumble in the Jungle. So she was <laughs> one of the ones that was aver- on the advertisements. Her last name's Porsche. Yeah. I know what website yeah, she's at on. At least I think that's how you pronounce it: P O R C H E Porsche. Mm. Porsche. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so yeah, his fight against George Foreman, the poster girl. He's like, she's good looking. All right. Um, they had two kids hey, together. Hey, poster girl. Hey, I'm right in my corner. Yeah. Come here. Let me show you an uppercut. <laughs> I got With a defensive my position for you. <laughs> yeah, they have two kids together, but yeah, Muhammad is still cheating a lot. Yeah, mm. uh, his. Third wife talks about that. He's like, I knew he had a thing for the women, but the ladies. He's like, she said, I didn't know how bad it was. So apparently, he was getting around quite a bit. Yeah, that's yeah. not great. They were married for about ten years, but she would eventually divorce him in 1986. So I mean, yeah, these dudes, chicks are so available. Oh yeah, it's hard, but it's bad. Yeah, it's I don't want to keep talking about comedians and their stand-up bits, but Bill Burr puts it together really well he's mm. like nobody cares if you work at a home depot women aren't throwing yourselves at them so you have no idea but when you're an athlete <laughs> and around every corner there's a woman there yeah it might be harder to say no than you thought i think yep uh there's groupies for every goddamn thing except podcasting <laughs> <laughs> which you know that's fine i'm, I'm okay with that. i don't give i'm not interested in cheating oh my god your history podcast is so hot i know we do a lot of research baby I'm married no I am married now. Take off your panties. But the thing is, <laughs> we are not at LeBron James level. And LeBron James, I feel confident saying, does not cheat on his wife. So it's doable. I like to think that hardcore history, he's like, yeah, it's a problem. Like, all the time, women just throwing themselves at Oh, me. like the history chicks? They have a real problem with that. Because that's a very good podcast. They do a lot of research, and I, I bet they podcast. are getting inundated with DMs. Just disgust, and they're all from me. It's all me. Yeah. Just be like, what, where you guys live at? What's I'm up? like Napoleon at Waterloo before your charms. <laughs> He's like, that's a good history quote. Very nice. That's MLK. Fucking, uh, the Alamo is your pussy. I'm going to run there. 
Again, Muhammad's speed and strength is clearly diminishing. You can see it happening, unfortunately. So Muhammad's still the champ, the world title, and he goes into another fight. He loses, and it, it's a pretty bad loss. And people are saying that they can even start to see, besides him slowing down in his fighting, he might be having a little bit of mental issues from taking all the blows to the head. Uh-oh. This is something that happens uh, to boxers. You can only take so many jabs to the to the skull yeah and you you can only take so much parkinson's it's like you know <laughs> joe rogan got into comedy because he was afraid of this kind of thing happening do you hear about that so joe joe rogan was a fighter He's yeah MMA, i know he does both bo- yeah, yeah. boxing and stuff right apparently early in his career he was afraid of this is something that happens to boxers or fighters it's that not a joke man you can actually have permanent issues and lose my mom dated uh, an amateur boxer. And when I say amateur, we're talking like nobody knows yeah. him except me yeah, type yeah. of thing. Where, yeah, he he fought a couple of fights in the 90s uh, where he was in an amateur league. Very amateur. Yeah. And his brain is garbage. Mush. Where he can't complete sentences totally. Yeah. And he forgets what he's saying in the middle of a sentence. And so that's like a regular person. Yeah, a regular person, and he's a big guy, uh, very athletic. But he took a couple of hits to the head, like a human, and was and his brain went to shit. Yeah. So when you're a high level dude, you make it to this level because your brain has been scrambled, but it has that inordinate ability to deal with it. But it, at some point, you don't come back. Like you know, you get yes. punch drunk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of get a permanent punch drunk. On top of all of this, so he loses these three fights. He decides to retire. Parkinson's disease is also uh, something that he is diagnosed with. Hmm. Um, it's not made public until 1984, but the Parkinson's, according to the doctors, said that it had nothing to do with his fighting. They're two separate things. So he was already starting to get some issues. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can create Parkinson's. Yeah, I don't think so either. No. no. But he was starting to show some signs due to fighting, and then he also has this on top of it. Parkinson's... It gave him uh, early on issues where you could kind of see he's starting to have tremors in his hands. His speech starts to get quieter, like a little bit softer. He takes a little bit longer to say what he would say, which is, you know, a lot of people said was a, a bummer thing to see because he was the, you know, he was the lip. That was what he was known for. Yeah. He rhymed, he talked, he was smooth, he had a nice flow. And they were like, yeah, no, it was hard to see your idol now having to struggle with this shitty disease. Yeah. And nothing nothing of his causing. Yeah. It's a, it, he got robbed. And he eventually gets to the point where he, he really doesn't do any more public speaking because of it. And this is in the 80s or late 70s when he notices all this shit? Yeah, in the mid to late 70s and going into a little bit of the early 80s. There well, is... That's bullshit, man. When it comes to the fighting, what caused it, one of his last fights he did, someone said that he, he talks about how he got hit so hard that his ancestors in Africa rolled over because they felt it. <laughs> And he says, he's like, it's so brutal. <laughs> That's so funny. And the guy, <laughs> yeah, the guy who said it oh, said that when he said this, there was a slight slur that wasn't there before. And he did this right after the fight. So like he took a big blow of the head, yeah. lost the fight, came out and said that. And he's like, and this is where you start to see him start to kind of have like actual mental issues from fighting. After his, uh, he, he his divorce of his third wife, like we said, they were married for 10 years. He was cheating around. She eventually divorced him. Muhammad would then remarry his second wife in 1987, Belinda Boyd. Hey, some things come back around. So she was the one who was like, I'll never call him Muhammad again. He's Cassius. He doesn't deserve that. And apparently they worked some stuff out and got remarried. So he has 
been married four times now. All right. In 1996, Muhammad Ali was invited to light the Olympic torch. Sweet. Um, this was a really cool event. A lot of people said it was very moving. He looks, unfortunately, a lot of people said that it was a mixture of feeling bad because they could see that the Parkinson's was taking effect and not to be rude about it, but they felt bad because there's the people's champ. and It's just hard to watch. Yeah. But at the same time, they said it was very moving. He was like, they were doing comparisons. You're like, you got to remember that... At one point, this man was widely hated because he came out and said he was part of the Nation of Islam. Yeah. Nobody liked him. His popularity was down. Mouthy. And now here he is, uh, you know, has a different mentality, trying to bring people together this whole time. Very active, very big on donations and trying to get black equality and to merge it with everybody together. And it was just powerful and moving at the same time. So it was really cool to see. Uh, You can watch that on YouTube. Him lighting the torch. Really cool. He was becoming more popular with his humanitarian and philanthropists. Philanthropy? Work. Yeah. Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Fucking cinnamon. Cinnamon. Okay, we're good. And so he focuses on practicing his Islamic duties of charity and good deeds. He donates millions of dollars to organizations to disadvantaged people. Like we were kind of saying a little bit before, he meets up with... Michael um, J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. They are trying to put more awareness on the Parkinson man. disease. Hell yeah. And it's stated that is estimated Muhammad helped feed over 22 million people that were afflicted by hunger across the world with what? his donations. Like I said, Does millions he have his own of charity? dollars. Like, he, he, he creates one with Michael J. Fox, I believe. Like the feed the people shit? I don't think he has that one, but he is giving donations to organizations like that. Well, I know Michael J. Fox owns like the premier charity for Parkinson's, which is primarily about research. Yeah. And um, it sounds like Muhammad is, is contributing to some other shit that's more about he does dis- as well disenfranchised with, communities. He does also with uh, the Parkinson's as well. He kind of all over the place. God. He's got the money. He's helping donating. Not much can make me feel bummed out. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a very dark person. I find many things hilarious. Sure. Parkinson's is just not funny to me. No, it's not. Pe- people who uh, are just robbed of the basics of their motor functions in their brain, like at a no fault of anybody's. Yeah. I don't like it. Me either. It bumps me out. In 2005, Muhammad Ali is awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian award presented to an individual for making exceptional contributions to the security of national interest of America or world peace or to the culture of public significance. So because he's doing all these donations and he's getting the Schaff got one of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I gave her one of those. It's a good club to be a part of. Yeah. 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 It's recognizing someone for trying to help everybody. Yeah. It's great. Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, You know who I also think got one is Kid Rock. Really? I don't fucking... I'd be like, ugh. I don't know who Trump is handing those fucking trinkets out (laughs) to now. Yeah, probably. It's it's probably Kid Rock and who gives a shit? Limp Biscuit singer. (laughs) (laughs) Fred Durst gets No, up. he doesn't even call him that. He's like, the Limp Biscuit singer. You, who's the... <laughs> you get one. This is cool. tremendous. Uh, a tremendous flavored water. Uh. And the star... The chocolate starfish. Trump's like, I, that's how I start my day is... Come here and just let me put this thing on you and then get the fuck out. Some days you don't want to wake up. I get that. And everybody's fucked. Everybody's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to break shit. <laughs> break your fucking face tonight. Oh, it's such a, uh, on Twitter, I can't believe Limp Bizkit is a thing. I can't believe Fred Durst got popular. I'm so embarrassed for all of us. Yeah, 
I had that fucking album too. I bought it the day it came out. I was like twelve. I'm gonna go ahead and use immaturity and stupidity and being too young to know. I mean, I'm just better. an idiot. Soon after Muhammad, after he receives this award, Muhammad opened up a nonprofit center called the Muhammad Ali Center, mm. and it was not far from where his bike was stolen just 50 years ago. For real? Yeah. Wow. So it's cool. You can go visit that. You said Louisville? Yeah, Louisville, yeah. Cool. Yeah. In February 2013, um, Muhammad's brother, this is kind of strange, Rahman Ali, said that Muhammad could no longer speak and yeah, he could be dead within days. Mm. And the reason why I say it's weird because I guess Muhammad's daughter went out and said like that wasn't true. I'm not sure who was being accurate. I think at this point his speech is really low yeah. and, and not he's not able to speak very often. So I'm not sure if she's trying to kind of help be like, you don't need to talk about my father. It's not important for you to don't, talk about. Don't accelerate it, Maru Chan. Or if his brother was just trying to kind of be like, yeah, it's bad. I, I don't know. Well, and it, watching uh, a relative deteriorate like that's going to be tough, and they're both going to respond differently. Like, yeah. one's going to go like, it's fucked, dude. And the other one's going to be like, support it, it's cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. going to handle it differently. When he's a public figure, you feel like you need to say something, but really, you know, you don't. Yeah, and this is kind of just what's going on in Muhammad's life at this time frame. Uh, eventually, he gets hospitalized in Scottsdale, Arizona on June 2nd of 2016 mm. with a respiratory illness. Though at first they say his condition was actually described as fair, it quickly worsened in the following day. He died at the age of 74. That's young. Um, from septic shock. So That's not too young. It's youngish. I'm not making it that far, but I'm also uh, not. Yeah. Well, I do have some fun facts. I know this is a rather large episode we've kind of gone into. Muhammad was in a Broadway musical. What? Bring this up during... He uh, was in Hamilton? Or Cats? He was in Cats. No. So during his 43-month forced exile from the ring, uh, Muhammad took the stage and the title role in the musical Buck White. I haven't seen this. The production opened inside New York on December 2nd, 1969. I don't think it lasted very long. I think it actually got cut short from what it was supposed to, how many it was supposed to air or whatever. Like the the Broadway run or whatever? Yeah, like it, it only went like four nights and then it closed down. Oh no, there's seven performances. So yeah, they did seven performances and then they closed it down. What did he do? He played a militant black lecturer who he received decent reviews. I haven't seen anything. I don't really know a whole lot about it. I just thought it was interesting that he was in a Broadway musical. It is odd, yeah. He was considered to be actually have a really nice voice. They said uh, huh. this is back in the late '60s, you know, '69, like I said. But they said that uh, yeah, he actually sounded really good, which is kind of a fun thing to think about when you it think is. about a boxer. That that if he felt like it, he'd just be a singer instead. He'd just be like, there wouldn't be Muhammad Ali the boxer. We would know Muhammad Ali like Al Green. It's funny you say that because he has a, a funny quote where someone asked him if he played golf at all. And he said, yeah, I'm the greatest at golf if I played. <laughs> like, I've never played it though. But if I did. All it took is if I. If I'd I, murder all of you. If I just went in and played golf, I'd probably be the greatest. I'd be on par all the time. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. The other fun thing he did was he recorded, like we were saying before, he recorded an album of spoken verse. No, for real? Yep. So uh, he was considered to kind of be somewhat of a poet, and he composed verses in which he taunted his opponents and praised himself. (laughs) That sounds... Hip-hop-ish. Weirdly like rap. Rap, yeah. Yeah. And it was released back in 1963. It was recorded over an album of music. And no fuck. One oh of them is called "I Am the Greatest." Is one of the songs, or one of the written verses over? Yeah, music. Eminem has a song called that. I am going to look this up. Yep. 
in which the 21-year-old rising to star performed his poetry, backed by musical accompaniment. The album has also included two songs by the boxer, including a cover of Ben E. King hit, Stand By Me, which I haven't heard, but you can go listen to these. The the history of hip-hop may not respect Muhammad Ali's contribution. 1963. That's early as fuck, dude. Yeah. Because, so, Africa Bambata who is widely attributed with uh, claiming the four tenets of hip-hop, which I won't bore you with. Thank you. In 1977, 78, yeah. maybe. So that's early as hell. Yeah. That's cool as fuck. Yeah. That's fucking cool. So yeah, uh, that's what I've written down on my notes, is he was basically performing a simplified style of hip-hop or rap fuck, uh, yeah, before dude. it was ever a thing. Well, I'm going to check it out. I want to see what the musical accompaniment is. And, uh Yeah. I'm just going to jerk off to it wildly. And it says it's spoken, so it might just be him really just talking. But so. that's... Early hip-hop was kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. By 1978, Muhammad's total fight purse earnings were estimated to be nearly $60 million. And if we account for today's money, what that would have probably equated to is about $318 million <laughs> for punching people in the face. That is insane. Really well. That's awesome. Now... He has so many quotes, and you need to go listen to him say them because it's so much better. But I have written down some of the ones that I thought were either awesome or hilarious. All right. So here's a bunch of them. Pattinson's body uh, is suing his legs for non-support. <laughs> <laughs> he's making fun of him because he said, yeah, he, he falls over. That, and that, takes a, him. that takes a minute to click in. And you're like, skinny legs. And nah, you can't, you can't you, support him. He's, he's going to fall. Fuck. You're going to fall. You fuck. said, I am the best. I just haven't played yet when talking about golf. Like I was saying earlier. Which I respect. I, I love that mentality. Yeah. Because, yeah, I agree. I'm the greatest chess player. I'm the greatest painter. Yeah. Um, I'm the greatest uh, fucking girls. I have never done any of those things. <laughs> yeah. But I would. Be yeah. Great. I've seen George Foreman shadow boxing and the shadow one. That's what he said when he was going to talk <laughs> up game against George, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a lot uh, of those kind of style. Okay. Just making, yeah. He even has like mama jokes and stuff. They're pretty funny. fucking joker. I'm going to listen to your album. Yeah. A man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. That was the quote I was trying to kind of come uh, up with earlier. Him saying like, you're going to change. You need to. That's conscious as hell though. Oh yeah. To, to measure it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking amen. It isn't the mountains ahead to climb that wear you out. It's the pebble in your shoe. I, I like this quote. It's just kind of an interesting thing. Like, mm. it's not what you have to do. Like, you can do that, no problem. But you kind of got to get rid of the things that are the actual problem that don't seem big. Yeah. It's not the big giant mountain. It's a tiny little pebble. You got to get that shit out of the way. Well, when you're thinking about walking up a mountain and you're like, I can totally do that, but it, this pebble in your shoe is bugging you the whole time. Oh, yeah. What's the thing you're thinking about? Yeah. You're thinking about the pebble, not not the mountain. Yeah. And it's just kind of a cool quote. I thought it was, it was an interesting I never realized what a poet. Right? Jesus. kind of was, yeah. Because every one of these lines, I'm just thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking of shit now. Some funny stuff he said as well is, I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> okay. He used to say all no, kinds that, of things like that. that that's rap. <laughs> that's, that's what rap is. One of the things he talked about when someone asked him if they thought he was ever going to lose because he was winning so much, he said, I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I'll ever get licked. And licked, of course, at the time frame is beat. Not, yeah, not not in the current usage as in oral sex. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, he would have been like, I'm always a stamp. <laughs> and then we've said this one before as well. He said, it's, it's not bragging if you can back it up. And then one of my favorite ones, which he says on a TV show, and he says it in a funny way. He says, I shook up the world. 
me. Wee. <laughs> he looks at the camera and makes faces and is joking around. What a strange dude. What yeah. a, a kick-ass dude, too. And then my favorite one uh, that I think was just kind of funny, especially because of how he said it, um, he was had an audience before him on a TV show, and a woman stood up and asked, something along the lines of like, uh, how would you feel about fighting in a country where that you are politically opposed to and same one that had an unattractive attitude against a black man. And Mohammed looked at her and was like, uh, you mean like America? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like the one we're in? What country are you referring to? Yeah. Uh, this is... Like right now? This country is... is that what you mean? So how I respond to it is like, like right now. Like what I'm doing right now. Yeah. If that answers are your question. Are you watching what I'm doing now? America's, yeah. Yeah. Has an unattractive do attitude. To, do you want me to lick your stamp or what, what are we doing here? Well, that is our episode on Muhammad Ali. Ooh, uh, I have to say, I did not know how much uh, activist he was. I did no. not realize that all the donations that he would put into, that he was. Yeah. His boxing. I'm not a, a boxing watching kind of guy, but I tell you, it was fun watching these fights and watching him move around. Mm-hmm. He's very quick, very fast. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage, even if you don't like boxing, if anything, check out either his first championship fight or against George Foreman. Both are great fights. Yep. By the grill. But there's a lot of other fights you can watch that are just as fun, mm-hmm. especially the ones where he's taunting the other guy, where he clearly has the win and he's kind of be, he's more goofy and doing silly things. Yeah. It's pretty good. He likes to talk in the ring, so you'll see him shouting a lot. So you can't hear what he says, but he often tells afterwards in the interviews what he was saying. I, even after doing all of my research, I didn't get a really great sense of his personality. It came off very, very cockiness when reading it. But when you watch him in these interviews, yeah, he's cocky, but you can tell he is playing it up on purpose. He even talks about it and many times. He says, I like to say things that are going to rile people up because I think it's funny to me. It's a show. Yeah, and he's very, very charismatic and witty. You, they have multiple times where they have him and another opponent or someone he fought before on the same TV show where they're you know it's like a talk show and they're talking back and forth and he's clearly more witty than anybody else of his opponents when they're talking and yeah. he makes fun of them for it and boy, this is how you talk when it's i go fight and punch things <laughs> and he makes fun of oh, them and then he goes over and shakes their hand matter of fact at one point in one of the episodes or one of the tv shows he was on he hates the opponents and the opponent hates him uh, they don't get along is what he says but at one point, he's like, I think for one minute, we should come together and take it out on the host, this white guy here. And they both get up. They shake each other's hand. They lift up the host. They're being playful. The host is like, whoa, what are you guys whoa, doing? Whoa. So it's all one big joke. But you can see that even though he's may not get along with somebody, he's still a nice guy. Yeah, and that and that and that's the correct um, sportsmanship mentality to have. When, yeah. when you're in the ring, when you're on the court, you... That's your enemy. You you're gonna you're gonna talk shit. You're gonna yep. hurt him if you need to. But yep. off, talk shit for fun. But yeah, you're friends. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, it's it's not real. You don't need to take it anywhere else. And yeah. it sounds like, all right, four wives cheated on him. Yeah, kind of a cock, but a a, a down to earth, realistic guy dealing with. I mean, the fact that he was the face of. Um, black controversy yeah from like 62 to maybe 75 78 yeah and he just dealt with it like a gentleman and like a shit talker and yeah. didn't let it bother him i mean that's a big personality well and i like it because one of the people that was close to him quoting them they said that you know muhammad ali wasn't flawless he wasn't a saint he's a dude but he wasn't a devil either he was muhammad ali fuck yeah and he has a lot of great qualities and i really enjoyed doing the research on muhammad 
super badass guy. All right, well, Dabblers, thank you so much for listening to another episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a bunch of shit. Great fucking man, Muhammad Ali. And hey, if you're stuck at home because of the whole COVID-19 bullshit and you got to work, you want to listen to episodes, if you're not caught up, dude, there's so many great episodes. Go check them out. We have like 100. Maybe some of the ones that you uh, were like, I don't even know who that guy is. Should I even check it out? Dude, check it out. Juan Pujol. Juan Pujol. It's another great episode. I fucking love that episode. Not too far away, Richard Feynman. You don't know who Richard Feynman is. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you listened. But Uh. if you don't, go back, dude. Congratulations, Dabbler. You found the secret ending. <laughs> like that's what's happening in my mind right now. Uh, I don't I'm, think so. I'm just gonna lay it down. I'm gonna say it happened. It's not people time. That's just it's half of people time. It happened. <laughs> it's, it's one person was like oh, a bunch of high school, sorry, college chicks. That's illegal if they're in high school. <laughs> college chicks. <laughs> that's just what's going on in your mind, huh? I see. I see how it is. A bunch of college oh, chicks. Lined tell up. me how much of a problem you had when he, that seventeen-year-old might have been going with a thirty-something or whatever, but he was really only twenty-eight. So it's not that bad. Yeah, I see how your brain you know, works. You know what's awful? If I'm not telling an anti-Semitic joke, I'm telling a pedophile joke, and everybody yeah. just thinks I'm a huge piece of shit. <laughs> I don't know. People time. Um. Yeah, I love of-age Jews. I do.